Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. First Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. There was a man of Benjamin whose, whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zerar, son of Bacar, son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and he shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of who I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. For Samuel 15, and Samuel said, to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the shirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Whew, good morning, Hill City Church. My name is Brad. I'm lead pastor of of this church. It's an honor to serve in that capacity. What the heck happened? Like we have this guy Saul, he's named king, and then a few chapters later it's like it's gone. His kingdom is gone. What happened? Well, we're going to go on a journey today and we're going to find out. First, I just want to pray for us and then we will jump in. God, we love you. Thank you for your church. Thank you that you continue to cause people to pass from death to life and that we get to take part in that. Thank you for the baptisms that are going to happen in our next gathering. So you're here, you are welcome here, open our eyes that we can see awesome things from your word. Uh, may, may we see you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So, so here's the deal, like football season is here, and I tried to watch as much of it as I could yesterday. Uh, my, my goal was to watch it from the morning until night when I went to sleep. Now that didn't happen, had some things and chores around the house I had to do, but I did my best, but I watched a ton of football. But even before this weekend, I had been watching football because my sons um, play football. So I'm at their practices, and it's like these are, these are like third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And I noticed something as I've been watching these practices. The, the coaches will call a play, and specifically say plays that are supposed to go up the middle. And, and when, when the ball then is handed to a third, fourth, fifth, or sixth grader, typically what will happen is they will look, and they'll be like, uh-uh. And then they go out here. Okay, and then the coach will be like, no, 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 listen, I want you to run here, like run the play right through here, and like I know there's a little space there, but you got to get there, and they're like, yeah, but there's a lot of space out here, and the coach then is like, no, listen, trust me, you got to run the play. As I prepared this sermon, as I've been reading this, as I looked at Saul, who is to be the first king of Israel, I was very personally convicted this week. I did some, I did some deep personal self-evaluation. I want you to know this, that, 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 I'm, that, I'm, that I'm preaching this morning out of a heart that has been, uh, man, the Lord has been speaking to. 
And I found that I'm actually way more like Saul than I care to admit. So we're going to look at this, but before we do, I want to do a quick review. We're starting a new series called Throne. And we're looking at uh, these kings of Israel. And we're going to start with Saul. We'll get to David. We'll do a little look at Solomon. Then we'll get to Jesus. But what happened last week, it was our first Sunday in this series, where we saw that Israel demanded a king. Give us a king, God. And what they were saying was, we need a substitute for you. So they started down this path. And they started down this journey. And we learned last week that idolatry gets us off of God's path for us, and then it leads us to more idolatry. And that was the case. When Israel was demanding a king, it was just old idolatry with a new outfit on it. They were doing the same thing that they did when they worshipped a golden calf. And they demanded a king that was like all other nations. That is not a good path to be on. And we learn we're not to be like all other nations. As we follow Christ, we're not to be like the world. That is a, that is a detrimental path to travel. But, the, but what happened? Israel desired a substitute to sit in the seat where God alone should sit. And then God does something very, that could be confusing, but he says, give them what they want. And we learned last week that that actually is a, is a form of God's judgment. Sometimes he's just going to give you what you ask for. So you don't want me, you want this, and God says, okay, I'll let you have that. But today, we take a journey as we see that Israel demanded a king, and then on the scene then comes Saul. And our scripture started with, with, with King Saul, and, or, or he wasn't a king yet, but we, we, we see the type of person that is going to be appointed. And he was a handsome guy, the best looking guy in the land. He was tall, he was taller than everybody else. He came from a wealthy family. He said his dad was a man of wealth. This is Saul. He's rich and he's handsome and he's tall. As you go on to read in chapter 9, now listen, I'm going to do a lot of storytelling today. We cannot read five chapters together today. We don't have time for that. So I'm just going to try to take you on a journey through this story. So in chapter 9, after Saul is introduced to us, what we see is that we see God is sovereign over everything. Even when Israel demanded a king, God said, that's good, give them what they want, but here's the deal. I'm going to let you know who it's going to be. I'll let you know who it's going to be. So Saul's family, like his dad loses a bunch of donkeys, and he sends Saul, his son, on a donkey chase. Go find these donkeys. But God was in control because on that donkey chase, he was going to meet a man named Samuel, which is God's man. And you can see, even in Israel's disobedience, even in their idolatry, we see God's mercy. In chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, I want to read it again. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. You shall anoint him to be prince over my people. He will save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. We have to see God's mercy in those two simple verses right there. And what do we learn? And this is important because I think this is very applicable. Israel's ignorance... Israel's idolatry, their ignorance and asking for another king, it will not weaken Yahweh's compassion on them. That's really good news this morning. Are we seeing the gospel in that little sentence right there? Our ignorance, okay, let me say it like this. My ignorance, praise God, 
will not weaken God's compassion on me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, Hill City? So Saul, he's on this donkey chase. He meets Samuel. And Samuel's like, hey, the donkeys have been found, but here's what we got to do. I want you to come to dinner with me. He's like, here's where I want you. Go meet me in this place. We're going to have this big dinner. We're going to talk. And here, we got to see something here too because cause, cause Samuel and Samuel, or Saul knew who Samuel was. And Samuel invites Saul to a dinner. Samuel's like, as for your donkeys, they were lost, but listen, they're found now. Let's go have a dinner. And Saul's response gives us some insight to his heart. In chapter 9, verse 21, here is Saul's response. Saul answered after he was invited to dinner by Samuel. Hey, we're going to meet me here tomorrow. Here's what we're going to do. And we're going to have this dinner. Saul said, am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of tribe of Benjamin? Why have you spoken to me this way? So let me translate. Why are you inviting me to this? I, I'm, not, I, I'm not from the right place. Hey, 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 Sam, I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. We don't get invited to those dinners. But actually, what you see here in Saul's heart is insecurity. And what insecurity can do, and we're going to see this unfold today, it will lead us to put too much value on what other people think about us. In other words, insecurity will cause us to value the opinion of others more than we value God's opinion. So right here in this little verse, we see a glimpse into the insecurity of Saul. But again, this is who they ask for. This is who the people ask for. So it takes us into chapter 10, and we see that Saul is anointed king. Samuel took a flask of oil, he poured it on his head, he kissed him. Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over this people Israel? You shall reign over the people of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. So he's anointed king. And right after he's anointed, Samuel says, now here's what's going to happen. You're going to go see a bunch of signs. And these signs are going to prove to you that God has made you king. This is what Samuel said. What do you think happened after Samuel said, you're going to see signs that's going to prove that you are king? What do you think happened? Do you think he, th that Saul saw some signs? Yes, because God said that he was going to see some signs. So he did. He saw all the signs. And one thing that he did is he actually prophesied, okay? Saul, just the spirit came on him and he prophesied, which was another sign that Yahweh had made him king. And then... After all this happened, he goes back home. So he's anointed king, and he goes back home. But he shows us another example of where he is insecure. And you, you, you would miss it. So i got to point it out. In verse 14 of chapter 10, he goes back home. Okay? And he sees his uncle. And Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. I went on a donkey chase. what you guys told me to do. And when we saw that there were not to be found, we, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, well, please tell me what Samuel said to you. 
And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Now, I'm not going to read into scripture here, but what we have in front of us is a lie. The lie of omission. Did Samuel say the donkeys were found? But what about the kingdom? Saul's like, nah. He left a really important, the most important thing out. Why? He was insecure. I don't know. Maybe he was afraid his uncle would make fun of him. Maybe he was afraid his dad and his family would be like, no, you're an idiot. Boy, what are you talking about? I don't know why. I just know that this was a very insecure man. And here now he, he, he lies by omission. And I think it's another glimpse into his insecurity. He was afraid of what people would think. And he valued that over what God said. Are you seeing a path here? You seeing a pattern? So we're still in chapter 10. And, and, and now... Saul's been anointed king. Well, now we got to have a ceremony, right? This is what we do. We're going to have a ceremony that, that tells all the people, hey, here's your king. And, and now what should happen is when a king is being anointed, that, that it should be a very happy occasion. But here's the thing about the man of God. Here's the thing about Samuel. He wasn't going to play the game. So he gets all of Israel together, right? And he's not like, hey, it's great to see all of you here today. What a glorious day it is. Let's celebrate this. That is not what he does. Because he's a man of God, and he's a man of integrity. So yes, he gathers them together. But here's what he says. All right, everybody here, listen. Today, you've rejected God. <laughs> Who saves you from all your calamities and your distress. And you have said to him, set a king over us. That's what happened. Now, let's do this. Now, let's get on with the ceremony. But let me make very clear what's going on here today. What else would you expect from a man of God? To fluff it up? I hope not. What lesson might we take from just that little sentence is that sometimes God loves us too much just to be nice and to jump into our little games. And God loved him too much. He had to speak through his man to say, now, let me... Listen, here's what's going on here right now. Let's not fake it. So verse 22, everyone is gathered to see their new king. Right? This is awesome. This is what we asked for. We're going to, where's our king? Show us the king. And then verse 22 of chapter 10 says, so they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man not to come? And the Lord said, see, they're looking around like, where's the king? Like, you, you've gathered us here. Where is he? That's my cricket noise. That's cricket. It's the best I got. What's it say here? Where was Saul? Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. So everyone's gathered. They want to meet their new king. And again, we see a major red flag. We see more insecurity. We see Saul who is hiding in the baggage. Now here's what we have to know about this. He was already anointed king. God said Saul was the king. Who said Saul was the king? Who said Saul was king? Thank you. 
Saul was royalty because God said he was royalty. But Saul, because he was insecure, refused to believe it and he refused to live it. And what did he do? He hid. But Listen, I don't want to take scripture out of context, but, but something kept jumping out of this page. I was in the office. I was talking to everybody in the office. I'm like, you guys got to see this. You got to see this. And I don't know if they got as excited as I did, but stay with me. He hid, and this word came up. He hid in the baggage. He hid in the baggage. Are you doing that? It's a profound question. Because I think what happens is this. And I'm talking to those of us who have passed from death to life. Okay? The Bible says this. When you believe in Jesus, when you follow him, when you pass from death to life, that you are royalty. Because God says you are royalty. But some of us are still so locked up in our past and in our baggage that we will not live our identity as an anointed one. Because we're insecure. One of the most profound questions that, were ever, that was ever asked to me, and it, it caused me to just really look at my life, it was this right here. Uh, it, it was, Brad, when... Are you going to give up on trying to change your past? Oh, because I have one. Like I've got very shameful things from my past. I, I've, I've lived in certain ways that are just, uh, the, the, I mean, just I've lived, I've lived wickedly. And here's the deal, listen, do I think it's important to look at your past? Do I think it's important to work through your personal story and to name some things? I think that can be helpful, but here's what happens, I've seen it too often, is we get stuck in that. And we hide in the baggage, and we don't move forward with with what God has called us to do. And I want to call a few of you out of that this morning. I'm 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 not calling you out, I'm saying I'm calling you out of hiding in your baggage and be who God has called you to be. And if you're following him this morning, the Bible says it, I don't, he says you are royalty. So here's what Samuel does. Finally, Saul comes out. Okay, there's our guy. He's tall and he's handsome and he's awesome. And Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of the kingship. And he wrote them in a book and he laid them before the Lord. So he wrote it down. What did he write down for Saul? He wrote the play. Here's the play, Saul. Run the play. The duties of the kingship. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what you're not supposed to do. It's going to be very similar to what we would read in Deuteronomy 17, that God said, here's what my king should do. Here's what my king should not do. Run the place, all. So everyone goes home. And Saul is now king. And out of the gate, we're still in the story. We're still on this journey. He has some success Now, it's short-lived success, right? So this takes us to 1 Samuel chapter 11. I'm still telling you a story. Please stay with me. So here's what happens. Israel's in trouble. This pesky little group called the Ammonites, they come on the scene, and and, and, and listen, there's going to be a fight. 
Israel was always in a fight. People are always trying to mess them up. So verse 6 through 11, here's what happens. Saul shows phenomenal judgment. He summoned Israel's militia. He divided up the troops. He smashed into the enemy camp somewhere around 2 a.m. in the morning, between 2 and 6 a.m. He routed the enemies, and Israel was delivered. So we have this insecure, this shy, this, this donkey-chasing farmer boy. Like, he shows some good judgment. But how did that happen? How did he go from insecure to showing this good judgment? And there's one little verse I want to point out to us. It's verse 6 of chapter 11. It said this. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul. I don't want you to miss that. Listen, it wasn't the position of king that gave Saul the power. It was the power of the Spirit on the person in the position Let me say it like this. It wasn't his title that gave him the power to have good judgment. It was the spirit. It wasn't the strength of Saul that gave him the power to have good judgment. It was the spirit. It reminds me of an Old Testament passage that says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. A New Testament way to say this in John uh, chapter, chapter 15, it says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's how Saul had success early. What do we learn from this Hill City? Listen, we have a lot of leaders in here. We have a lot of people that are called to certain things. I don't care if it's running a company. I don't care if it's running a classroom. I don't care if it's trying to to accomplish a mission and vision of the church. You cannot go forward without the Spirit and expect success. It's by the Spirit that we do what God has called us to do. So Saul is anointed king. He hides. He has this short-lived success. And then when chapter 13, we see what I call the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. Here we have Israel. They're in another fight. They're fighting this time against the Philistines. And what's happening is Saul, the people, the people around Saul, they're losing heart. So they're, they're getting scared and they're running away. They're scattering, the Bible says. There was trouble. But listen, the people running away from Saul, the people not staying around him, that's the worst possible thing that could have happened in his eyes. Why? Because he was so insecure. He valued the people and the presence of the people and the opinion of the people more than he did the presence and the opinion of God. So what does he do? See, the Bible tells us he was actually supposed to wait for Samuel to come. God's man was going to come on the seventh day. Okay, that's what the Bible says. Samuel says, wait for me. I'll be there in seven days, and then this thing's going to be all right. He didn't run the play. It was on the seventh day, and he got impatient. And what did he do? Saul gets scared, so he, he performs a sacrifice to try to get all the people's attention. No, you've got to come back to me. So he performs a sacrifice. The problem with that is only Samuel was supposed to do that. That wasn't Saul's job. He didn't run the play. 
And what's funny about Saul is he comes out and you look in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 13 and he's like, he's like really proud of himself. It's pretty weird. He's deceived. He's really deceived right here. Verse 10 and 11 of chapter 13, it says, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, of course, this is how it would work. He was supposed to wait for Samuel. Nope, he doesn't. He offers a burnt offering. He wasn't supposed to do that. And as soon as he was finished, behold, Samuel came. You know, Saul's like, oh, crap. If I'd have just waited 10 more minutes. But that actually wasn't how it was. He's actually pretty proud. He sees Samuel come and he's like, I did. This is. Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel. So Saul runs out to, 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 to greet Samuel, and Samuel says, dude, what have you done? Like, you didn't run the play. I told you to wait, and you didn't wait. He confronts him, right? And then verse 11, this is another path, another pattern of Saul. Listen, Whew. we can see Saul here. Parents, it's going to sound familiar. All the parents in there are like, dang, am I raising Saul? says, what have you done? And Saul said, well, when I saw that the people were scattering, and then, and then Samuel, I saw that, that you delayed in your coming. You see the blame? Well, it was the people, Samuel, and it was you. And, and, and then he goes on to say, I, then I, I forced myself to offer burnt offering. Is that like so childish? So I'm going to just tell you a quick story. Stay with me. Listen. So, so I was riding with a Springfield police officer, and, and we pulled over a guy that was, was dr drinking and driving. It was hilarious. And it wasn't hilarious. You shouldn't have done it, but, like, just stay with me. <laughs> but he's like, officer, officer, listen. And he did the, I only, listen, can I be honest with the officer? That's what he said. And, of course, officer, yeah, you can be honest with me. He said, I only had two beers. Which is what everybody says, right? And officer, okay, thank you. Then he goes, no, wait, officer, officer, no, can I really be honest with you? He's like, yeah, he's like, and he looked over his friends. They were sitting on the curb. He's like, they made me drive. <laughs> right? And here Saul's like, Saul's acting like the drunk guy in Springfield at, you know, 1 a.m. in the morning. He's like, listen, I forced myself, listen, I forced myself to do this, Samuel. I didn't really want to do it, but the people and you, and here you have this pattern of him blaming and Samuel then says, listen, you didn't run the play. And right here we see a glimpse where God says, Samuel tells him, here's the deal. You didn't run the play. I'm going to go find someone who will. And you're going to lose this kingship. But he didn't lose it immediately. And it takes us then to chapter 15 of 1 Samuel. We're still in the story here. We're seeing this short-lived success. Then we see the beginning of the end in chapter 13. And then it says in chapter 15. Okay, strap on your seatbelts here because this is going to get wild. And I know that some of you are going to be like, oh, Lord. Here we go. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people. Now listen to the words of the Lord. Saul is say, or Samuel is saying, Saul, here's the play. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go strike Amalek. This is a people group, the Amalekites. Go strike Amalek and devote them to destruction. All that they have, do not spare them, but kill both man and woman and child and infant and ox and sheep and camel and donkey. 
That's the play. Now, before we get into this, I'm just going to go here. Some of you right now in this room are like, see, that's what I, I can't, this Christianity, this Bible thing, the Christianity God, see, that right there. That's why I can't get on board. Like, why would God, yada, 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 yada. Have we heard these questions? So let me stop. Let me right here. Number one, that's really a really, really, really good question. And those questions are welcome at this church. That's a good question. We read this passage and we're like, man, this doesn't make sense. But listen, I can't unpack all this today. We have discipleship spaces. You guys, if you're like, man, I've got to talk more about this, you need to reach out. Danny Mack and, 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 and his team, you can call me. Like, we can talk about this in other spaces. We're going to provide discipleship spaces to tackle these, but I do have to explain some context here. Let's talk about war in the ancient world. What would happen is people groups and nations, they were conquer, they would go conquer other people groups and nations, and they would do it for power and for wealth. Okay, that's just how it worked, and they used force. Well, here's the thing about God, the king of kings. He's all-powerful, and he owns everything. So he doesn't go take over nations for power and wealth. He's not a king like all the other nations. Are you with me? What God is doing here is he's, he's, the play that is to be ran is this. It's an act of justice. There is no profit. There is, uh, there is no profit to be gained. This is to be an act of justice. Why? Why would he do this? Well, historically, when Israel came up out of Egypt, this people group, the Amalekites, they attacked them. Israel was weak. They were susceptible to attack, and the Amalekites attacked them. But they didn't do it once. They did it over and over and over and over for 300 years. See, we can't comprehend 300 years. Our country's not even 300 years old. But just imagine a people group attacking and attacking. When I say attacking, I'm like, they would go find pregnant women, cut the babies out of their bellies, and then kill the babies. Like, they were wicked. This isn't just, like, like these were wicked, wicked people. Genocide. Pillage. And God had had enough. He watched this for 300 years, and it was time for him to enact his justice, and his justice is perfect, and this had to be done with force, and Israel, his people, they were to be an instrument of justice in this situation, and I can't give you a big explanation on why it had to be this way. All I know is this, God's glory is central. We can't comprehend it. We are not center stage. This story is not about us. It never will be. It's about God. He is the center. But this was just, and God is just, and he's righteous, and he's perfect, and he is good, and he cannot be anything but good and perfect. His glory is primary. He will not be mocked. You don't mess with his kids. Can we not look at this story and go, man, our God is slow to anger. 300 years he gave them a chance. He could have given them another 300 years. Those babies, those women, they would have just, listen, it would have been 300 years of the same. He had had enough. You don't mess with his kids. So he tells Saul, here's the play. Go execute the play. He was clear in what he asked for, and what did Saul not do? He didn't run the play. Verse 7 
and 9. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah, so far as Shur, which is of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Was he supposed to do that? That's not the play. Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves. Was he supposed to do that? It wasn't the play. Why would he have done that then? Well, let me give you more historical context. Kings, like all the other nation, they would capture other kings. And then they would parade them in front of the people and the people would love it. They'd be endeared to that king because then they would name that king who captured another king a king of kings. Well, guess what? There's only one king of kings and Saul wasn't supposed to do that. That's what all the other nations did. He didn't run the play. He wanted people to look at him. His number one concern was what the people thought of him. So here we go again. Samuel confronts Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 12. So Saul doesn't just capture the king. He goes and builds a monument to himself. And Samuel finds out that Saul built a monument to himself. He finds out that he kept the king alive. He found out that he kept some sheep. And here's what happens. Verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 14. 13, and Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Did he perform the commandment of the Lord? And Samuel said, What's this bleeding of sheep that I hear in my ear? And this lowing of oxen that I hear? He's confronted. He's proud of what he had done. See, God made Saul big. He pulled him out of this little tribe and he made Saul big. But Saul thought, nope, I got to make myself bigger. I'm going to build a monument to myself. I'm going to do it my way. And we need to see this this morning, that arrogance is just akin to the sin of idolatry. The Bible says God opposes the proud. Getting big in your own eyes is a sure way to become evil. Do we not see this with Saul? But look at his response. Samuel confronts him. What is this that I hear? And Saul said, well, they. That's his first word in verse 15. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the, the people spared the best of the sheep. Wait a minute, who's king? And he's like, no, the people, it's the people. Like, what? I, I didn't do this. But he doesn't just blame. Then he tries to rationalize by being religious. Now we're going to come to some living rooms. So he doesn't obey God, but then he rationalizes by becoming religious. Well, I spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord, of course. So we have this perfectly acceptable religious ritual, sacrifice. The Lord called for it. It's a perfectly acceptable religious ritual. But here's the thing about God. He knows the heart. And you can be as religious as you want. But God knows the heart. Saul's heart was deeply root, had deep roots of insecurity. 
and on the throne of his heart was his reputation with the people. He valued God's opinion more than he valued God's word. Therefore, he did not run the play. He did not value his God-given royalty. And Samuel just preaches the gospel to him in verse 16. Don't miss the gospel. In verse 16 of chapter 15, he says, Samuel, though you're little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. This is who you are, dude. God made you king. Was that not enough? God said you were royalty. Was that not enough? Now you got to go and make yourself big in your own eyes. Now you got to value the people over what God said. He refused to believe that what God said and who God said he was was enough. Do you? Saul said, you didn't run the play. But here's the thing. He ran a portion of the play, did he not? He killed a lot of people. He kept the king, and he kept some of the best of the animals. He ran a portion of the play, but he didn't obey. He didn't run the play. Imagine if my life, if, if, I, if I just told you guys this right now, here's the deal, just three and a half days of the year. That's it, just three and a half days of the year. I'm going to be unfaithful to Jenny. And if you crunch the numbers, that means I'm 99% faithful to my wife, Jenny. I'm pretty awesome at husbanding. No, of course we wouldn't say that. The Bible goes on to say in verse 22, to obey is better than sacrifice. That's what Samuel tells Saul. Listen, to obey is better than sacrifice. You didn't run the play. You didn't obey. Yeah, you did this sacrifice, but doing what God says is more important than sacrifice. But then look at verse 23. We got to go here. He said, rebellion is the sin of divination. That means witchcraft. So rebellion is just like witchcraft. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Okay, so we got to talk about those two words, rebellion and presumption. Rebellion is this, is to not be all in 100% with God. That's rebellion. Presumption is this, you make yourself the authority. You decide what's right and wrong. You decide what's true or false. You decide what you like about the Bible and Christianity and Jesus and what you don't like. And you discard what you don't like. That's called presumption. And the Bible says that's idolatry. Rebellion and presumption are not the plays we're supposed to be run. So let's look at some common rebellion. Okay, we're going to get very practical right here. Some common rebellion. Maybe we're 95% with God. Maybe we're 99% with Jesus. But what we do for that 1% is that we resort to historically modern, acceptable rituals of the faith. In other words, we might be very involved in the church. We're good Christian folks here, right? We attend church every Sunday, or at least almost every Sunday. That's good. That's very acceptable. We should do that. Maybe you're serving the poor. That's good. I, don't, I think we're called to do that. Maybe you pray before you eat, and even in a public place, you do that. Maybe you go so far, you lead a Bible study in your home. All are good things. But some of you are doing that, 
and you're dating an unbeliever, and God says, that's not the play. Some of you are doing this, and your eyes are looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at, and God says, that's not the play. Some of you, some of you get drunk, but just a few times a year, right? And I mean, not very much. I mean, I just get drunk a few times a year, and it's like, no, you are, you are a Christ follower. You are royalty. That's not the play. Some of you have a long-time boyfriend or girlfriend, and you're sleeping together. And you're like, we're not hurting anybody. We're going to get married in a few months anyway. That sounds okay. The problem is, that's not the play. Some of you give your time, and you give your energy, but you don't give the resources of your finances, and that's not the play. Let's talk about a future play that we're going to run. We're going to go plant a church in a university city. And some of you, the play is that you move and that you go help with a church plant. Some of you are going to transfer schools to go help with a church plant. And what you might do is sit back and go, you know what, I'm just going to stay back here. I'm going to help Hill City. This isn't what I'm going to do. And God's telling you this morning, no, that's not the play. That's rebellion. You might be 95% with God. You might be 99% with God. But rebellion is that when you're not 100% with them. Now hear me out. Hear my heart. I'm not talking about people who might be struggling with a certain sin issue. You've repented from that. And you're working hard, but it's just a struggle for you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who are living a certain way and you're just completely unrepentant saying, I'll do this my way. Who are you to tell me that I can't date an unbeliever? That's rebellion. It's idolatry. And here you see Saul, as we conclude, we have non-repentance. It looks like repentance, but it's non-repentance. In verse 25, now therefore, Saul says, I have sinned, right? That's, that's good. I'm glad you admitted that. But then he says, now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said, I will not return. And what Saul's admission in verse 24, he's like, I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. He was insecure. That was his downfall. And he wanted to go back, but see, Samuel knew his heart. He didn't repent because he was heartbroken and he didn't, do, he didn't run the play. He repented because he thought, I'm going to lose the glory of the people. And God said, nope. And he reaches out as Samuel's walking away and he grabs Samuel's robe and he tears it. Samuel turned away. Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day. And he's given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. So it begs the question. If you're serving communion, I'd like you to come forward. It begs the question, and i got to ask, what right did Saul have? Or what right do we have to think that we can enjoy the Lord's power, the Lord's presence, His power, His presence? What right do we think that we have that we can enjoy the Lord's position that He has put us in while we deny his lordship, his leadership, and his word. That's what Saul did because he feared the people more than he feared God. And here's the thing about us that's different than Saul. We have the luxury and the blessing of knowing the faithfulness of God even beyond what Saul did. 
Like God has shown us he is faithful. He's shown us we, he, we can, he can be trusted. He's shown us the play because he sent his son. He died in our place. He rose from the dead. In other words, Jesus ran the play. And in doing so, he made it possible for us to be able to run the play too. So here's what I want to talk to you. Those of you in the room, you've passed from death to life. You're following Jesus. You are royalty. God said that. If you're not following Jesus in this room, you've not passed from death to life. You need, I need to be very clear. You, listen, you're not royalty just because you've been born and you're on the earth. But you can be this morning. You're not here on an accident. You can be royalty. You've heard the good news. You've heard that God can make you royalty through his son, Jesus. And it's just that you've got to run the play. He's calling you to this. We receive communion here each week. We come down the center aisles. We, we exit on the outside aisles. But here's the deal. We also have people down here that pray every single week. It's the honor of our week to be able to pray with you. And here, here's what I want us to do. I want us to just evaluate where has there been rebellion? 1%. Where has there been presumption? No, I'm going to, I'm the authority, not God's word. See, the pattern of our lives is this, that we come and we confess that. And then we repent of that. And then we move forward in a life of restoration. And for some of you, the first step, maybe just come and have somebody pray with you that you would tell someone out loud what is going on. But we want to value God's voice more than we do the people's. Stand with me. We're going to continue to see this tragedy of Saul unfold. But each week we're going to see that there is one king of kings. There is only one king who could run the play. There is one king who got this right, and it's Jesus. And this is who we celebrate as we receive communion. Bread torn represents his body. The cup represents his blood that was spilled for us. Let it be enough, Hill City. Let it be enough today. Let's come to the table.